Welcome to part two of our interview on the Defense Personal Property Program, or DP3 program, with Director Mr. Rick Marsh and Mr. Bradley Richardson, an attorney advisor for U.S. Transcom. The DP3 program is the massive enterprise that deals with the movement of household goods and POVs, non-temporary storage, and the DOD management framework. If you didn't hear part one, please consider going back to the previous episode to listen. In this part two, we continue in our discussion from where we left off in part one. Here are a few clips from part two. So I think it's just being as, as inclusive as possible, being as transparent as possible, being as accessible uh, as possible, and then you know making decisions and moving out and just trying to deliver results, plain and simple. It's really continuing to provide that legal advice to be there at the planning stage and always just trying to predict what's going to happen and how things are going to play out. Welcome to the Air Force Judge Advocate General's Reporter Podcast, where we interview leaders, innovators, and influencers on the law, leadership, and best practices of the day. And now to your host from the Air Force Judge Advocate General School. I'd also like to talk about communication, strategic communication, but just kind of communication at large. Obviously, Communication is one of the pillars of leadership. Um, it's something that we've discussed with previous guests and, and all kinds of different capacities. And, and I know from the DP3 program, you have strategic communication. You also have communication with your customers. You have communication with Congress. You have communication when you're, when you're dealing with litigation, etc. So maybe um, starting with Mr. Marsh again, could you maybe just give an overview on what the communication uh, strategy is and or what your your role is as one of the leaders of, of the program. Nah, sure. I'll I'll start and we'll, we'll we'll see where we go with this. You know, I, I think I think fundamentally it's about uh, you know what 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 General Lines did that I think was long overdue was hey just acknowledging that issues existed within the program for a lot of reasons, right? Just you know our internal management alignment being one of them, right? Just kind of the fractured nature of our of our enterprise for a long time. You know, decisions about the program bubbled up from the bottom, right? I'm painting with a very broad brush, but the only changes that were made were the ones that, you know, staffs, you know, across the services could agree on, which, I mean, as you know, is, is just a recipe for preserving the status quo. So while we tweaked at the margins over the years, you know, our families grew really tired of the status quo, deservedly, right? I mean, all the critiques, all the, all the complaints levied against the program are absolutely accurate. And they got really tired of our narrative that the status quo was good enough, um, in Congress demanded a get well plan uh, f- from us. So I think you know, f- you know, fundamentally, I think uh, where DOD has turned the corner is is acknowledging that what we are you know, no, no longer trying to defend what we have in place, uh, but working very closely with our customers uh, to improve it. You know, we've we have a we're very fortunate to have uh, you know a very talented staff across the services. You know, not only at the at the headquarters level, uh, but personal property elements down at the installation level. I mean, a lot of people that have been doing this for a really long time, which is exciting. We have a really good network of, you know, family advocate volunteers. Many of them are spouses, right. That have had, you know, the experiences that, that you and Brad mentioned, um, who, who volunteer their time to help us improve the program, right. I mean, they, we meet with them on a monthly basis. They review products we're creating. They, they give us insights into the program that we would never see, um, you know, from our perch at, at, at U.S. Transportation Command. So I think it's just being as, as inclusive as possible, being as transparent as possible, being as accessible uh, as possible, and then, you know, making decisions and moving out and just trying to deliver results, plain and simple. 
I think something to highlight that Mr. Marsh just mentioned here is all the different audiences that you can pick out of his comments, commanders in the Department of Defense, Congress, the media, service members from all five branches, including the Coast Guard. That's every E1 to E9, every O1 to O10, and maybe an O11 if we ever go into World War III. That's, there's different cultures within that. Then we have DOD civilians, then we have spouses and families. So we have to communicate with all of those uh, audiences on any given day. And that's really going to drive how we draft things and how we uh, speak to uh, these different audiences. Um, and, it, and it requires us to create differing products uh, for each, each audience rather than trying to one message out to all these, all these audiences. No, we have to constantly gear and, and shift how we interact with these audiences. And it's, it's a challenge. So maybe if we just pick one of the audiences, right? Like a lot of our listeners might be considered customers at some point. How do you evaluate their feedback? I mean, what's, what's the approach there? Yeah. So I think there's, there's a couple of ways, right? That's the only reason we exist, right? It's the only reason this headquarters staff has positions, right? It's the only reason that we develop IT. It's the only reason uh, we publish information is to uh, Im- improve the relocation process for them. So, you know, there's a, there's a few levels on, on the customer side, right? So first is, you know, just having touch points to understand what, you know, what the issues are. I, you know, I mentioned the, you know, the family advocate volunteers that we have that give us, you know, really great feedback. We get really great feedback from our customer satisfaction surveys. Uh, we read every one of them, right? Uh, we react to as many as we can, you know, particularly the ones that highlight uh, challenges, right? That, that highlight a, a, a failure of the, of the enterprise. Uh, we get great feedback in the form of congressional inquiries. Uh, we get great feedback in the form of uh, IG complaints, right? So, I mean, we have, we get a lot of feedback. And again, the, you know, the critiques and complaints are all accurate, right? It's all just exposing the issues that, that we need to tackle. Um, so we, I mean, we have a responsibility to communicate with them when the program fails them, right? Just uh, letting them know somebody cares, somebody's trying to make it better, uh, that they're, you know, when they launched their customer satisfaction survey, that it didn't just end up in some org box that, that no one reads. Moving forward, we also have to describe what we're doing to improve the program. We're driving a lot of change, but none of this is going to be overnight, right? I mean, the, you know, I talked about how the program evolved in a manner uh, that favors industry. It's going to take, it's going to take time to, uh, you know, tip the scales fully back in in favor of families. Uh, so, you know, we have a responsibility to articulate, you know, what we're trying to do to improve the program, and then when families uh, can see those changes, because, uh, you know, all of this is very exciting to me, right? I never had the dream to be the personal property guy, but it's it's an awesome mission. But for customers. I, the only the only move they care about the only move they should care about uh, is the one they're preparing for right and whether it's going to go right or not and who's the, who's going to be there to help them uh, so that that's how I see uh, and you and organize our our communication efforts yes sir and for Mr Richardson obviously legal has a very important role here in all of the communication and all and also right when you're dealing with litigation could you briefly discuss um, what that role is. Sure. It's a lot different in a reform effort than what I was trained to do in law school and then when I was a JAG, when I was on active duty. JAGs in particular were trained to write and speak in a concise, matter-of-fact manner. I can remember my SJA coming down with you know a 10-page legal review that I wrote and said, make it to Captain Richardson. <laughs> um, and, and so it's it, it, you really have to sort of retrain yourself on how you're going to give legal advice uh, during a reform effort. 
At Transcom, there are three offices that really support strategic communication, public affairs, legislative affairs, and, and the legal office. The various directorates are really the approving authorities. For example, Mr. Marsh is the approving authority for strategic communications that come out of uh, DP3. But regardless, the planning starts with these three offices, and the products we create are living, breathing documents that are always being updated. You know, our styles, goals, and needs are not not always going to mesh. So we have to work as a team to balance all those equities. You know, the way I support strategic communication really depends upon the content. If we're communicating about ongoing litigation or something that explains the law I'm at the planning stage, providing inputs throughout the drafting process. Outside of that, you know, I'm primarily ensuring that the release information complies with law or policy. Uh, we're checking facts, gauging any litigation risks, and choosing my experience as a lawyer and litigator to make sure the language doesn't create more questions than it actually resolves. You know, a lot of times I create one or two page documents for public affairs and legislative affairs to allow them to uh, go and do the messaging built off of a particular legal review. Those will be point papers with bullets that hit major points. I'll also take a shot at drafting the message we're attempting to communicate, especially if it pertains to litigation. It's a lot of work at the front end, but being intertwined with public affairs and legislative affairs at the planning stages is far more efficient and prevents issues being uh, arising on the back end, which is usually too late to correct. Important thing for lawyers to remember is that public affairs and legislative affairs can't speak like a lawyer when responding to inquiries. Reporters in Congress will see right through that and wonder why a lawyer is writing the press release or a, a congressional response. You know, they need to have a conversational style, have a unified narrative that's not mired in jargon and long-winded descri descriptions that lawyers are notorious for giving. Uh, and then, you know, for at least public affairs in the media, we really need a 24-hour turn on responses to media inquiries. You know, first we got to get our response in before a reporter's editorial deadline. And then second, we don't want to create the perception that we're hiding something by delaying a response. So that's why we're always planning and updating our public affairs guidance and our legislative affairs guidance on all the issues that we confront at Transcom. Hey, Rick, and I think you know, just to add you know, one, you know, one stakeholder in this, I mean, while, while my priority is and will always be you know, our, our, our customers, right? I mean, there, there is a you know, industry is an important stakeholder when it comes to, uh, you know, communication audiences as well. Um, you know, we're, we're talking, you know, when we talk reform efforts, right? I mean, you know, I mean, you see it within DOD, right? Within a, within the DOD workforce, you know, you know, change can be hard. Change is similarly hard for, for our, our industry partners. So it's, it's important that they understand what, what we are trying to do, you know, bust myths on, on what we're not trying to do. I mean, the, the example of the global household goods contract, uh, there are many players in industry that uh, you know, are excited for this, right? I, I'm surprised you haven't asked us about the, the protests on the Global House of Goods contract yet. I, I anticipate it's coming. <laughs> uh, but there are there are companies that are fighting to be our provider in the Global House of Goods contract. So, and it's important that we articulate you know how we envision the future operating environment for industry, uh, you know, because right now, I mean, we're talking you know, you know, again billions of dollars, right? This is a big program. But the majority of our capacity comes from small businesses, right? Agents, packers, and truckers. And, and that capacity is going to be critical under the new construct. I mean, we, we need them in the program. So it's really important that folks understand that uh, 
you know, particularly on the industry side, hey, if, if, if you are part of the program today and, and you're delivering a quality product, uh, there is always going to be room for you in the program. This isn't a matter of one giant company coming in and, and handling everything, right? I mean, this is this is integrating all the activities that are currently being accomplished by these, in many cases, small businesses uh, you know, in and around military installations who, again, uh, we're going to need them for the long haul. Yes, sir. And I mean, if you're willing to opine a little bit on the global household goods contract or, or Mr. Richardson, um, would be interested to hear your thoughts on that as well. Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll take, uh, take it uh, just to give an overview. For listeners that may not be familiar with uh, litigation of government contracts. So you have a solicitation. During the solicitation, you're accepting proposals, you're evaluating, and you're trying to pick what is going to be the best value for the government. And then after that, you make an award. After a contract is awarded, the disappointed offerors, meaning the companies or people who did not get the contract, can go to one of two places to protest, which means litigate. Number one, they can go to the Government Accountability Office, known as the GAO. Two, they can go to the Court of Federal Claims. At the GAO, the protesters receive a non-binding opinion in about 100 days. They also receive an automatic stay of a contract while the protest is pending, meaning the government has to stop work on the contract. At the Court of Federal Claims, the protesters essentially, protesters essentially go to court. The Court of Federal Claims will issue an order that is binding. However, this process usually takes more time at the GAO, and the protesters don't get that automatic stay. They have to request an injunction, which is a whole separate motion that they have to litigate. Most protesters, they go to the account- government accountability office, like the two protesters that uh, filed their protest uh, for the GHC contract. So in that one, while the protesters lodged numerous allegations, the Government Accountability Office only sustained five allegations which applied to both protests. That means they found errors uh, that they recommended that we correct. A company that was awarded the contract, American Roll-On Roll-Off, known as ARC, had some sister companies who had some legal troubles. We considered those issues during a process known as the responsibility determination, which is required by the federal acquisition regulation. And ARC clarified that those sister companies were not going to perform any part of the GHC contract. However, those statements conflicted with ARC's proposal that they submitted, uh, which were not remedied while uh, we awarded the contract and through the protest. Uh, The GAO also recommended that our documentation of our valuations be more robust, such as recording live demonstrations that the offerors presented, how we use market research and negotiations with the offerors, and some of the technical analysis we did of the offerors' proposals. Their final recommendation is that we take corrective action, which means remedying the issues that were pointed out by the GAO. The GAO recommended that we redo the evaluations with the most highly rated proposals, which are currently ongoing. For me, yeah, it was a disappointment to get a sustained protest, um, but we get the opportunity to correct these and, and do it over again and apply the guidance that the Government Accountability Office uh, gave us. And, and the way I communicate to all of uh, my clients is that, you know, the Government Accountability Office, arguably, this is where the brightest minds of contracting are located, along with the 
K Street law firms that litigate against the Department of Defense and the government on a regular basis, we all get together and we ask, did we do this right? And if we didn't, then the government has an obligation to go back and do it correctly again and do it over again. And that's what we're doing. Well, thank you for that very detailed um, answer. I think that um, helps to give some more context to what kind of goes on behind the scenes a bit. And it's clear that, I mean, this stuff can get very complicated very quickly. Kind of moving into the uh, the, the end of our, our discussion here, I just had a few questions for both of you just on the, the goals or the future of the DP3 program, if you could offer any insights there. No, I'd be happy to tackle that one. So uh, you know, our, our vision for the program is to you know, move beyond you know, what really is a, you know, a series of disparate you know, service-oriented activities into an integrated department-wide program uh, that can generate the year-round capacity uh, and accountability required to meet DOD's re- relocation needs. Uh, there, there's still a lot to do within the current program, right? I mean, this one act, the, the global household goods acquisition effort. I mean, that's that's a it's a it's been a multi-year acquisition effort. It'll be a multi-year uh, implementation. We're still going to move a lot of folks under the current program, uh, and we're 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 doing everything we can just to you know to squeeze as as much goodness out of the current program uh, as as we possibly can. We've spent a lot of time today talking about industry, uh, but but I assure you, we're spending just as much time focused internally uh, as well. Uh, you know, again, on, on the communication front, just you know, auditing the information out there, just really rethinking through how we deliver information, how we present information to arm families you know, with the info they need to conduct a successful relocation. With our own management framework, I mean, there's a lot of variance you know, between the services, even within the services. I mean, our, my office is, is similarly guilty of that, right? I mean, so so just looking for opportunities to, you know, standardize the way we do things so that regardless of, you know, which service office you enter into the, you know, any office that you go in, you know, around the globe, that it, it looks and feels like an integrated program, right? That, you know, you know that you're getting uh, the most accurate information uh, possible. Uh, doing some internal training, you know, again, as we, as we update business rules, uh, as we change processes, you know, making sure that the uh, you know, the DOD personnel in that framework, right? The thousands of folks in the installation offices and the shipping offices are trained, right? So we're, we're taking that on. Uh, so I, I think those are the those are the things that we're doing uh, internally uh, with the program. I also think we're improving how we communicate within the services, right? Within the department. You know, I think one of the comments, you know, f- f- you know, triggered a thought earlier was when you mentioned, hey, we're, you know, we're moving this to a logistics command, you know, again, this is this is a personnel issue, right? It has a huge logistics component, but ultimately, this is about moving people, evolving past the idea that we need to. I, I think historically, we've spent too much time focused on moving people's stuff and not focused on the customer service for the person whose stuff we're moving, right? So, really embracing this idea of a customer service organization, uh, really embracing the idea that this is a, a personnel issue, and you know, spending just as much time with the personnel communities we do with logisticians. Yes, sir. Thank you for those insights. And anything uh, maybe from the legal perspective? I guess the the alligator closest to the boat, of course, is getting through the corrective action and the evaluation. And so we've really been focused on that. So we've retooled um, how we do things. You know, so many times we react to a protest rather than plan for it. Earlier, when when Mr. Marsh and I were talking about this podcast, he used the term, we need to play better defense. And that is 100% correct. 
I think in the last uh, protest, uh, we were running plays, but never actually getting into a scrimmage. So we're scrimmaging on a regular basis. So we're testing these things out and making sure we're doing it right so we can get through um, a protest and ultimately to awards. That's where we're focused on. But as far as, as the future, you know, it's it's really continuing to provide that um, legal advice to be there at the planning stage and always just trying to predict what's going to happen and how things are going to play out. That's uh, really where, where my mind is is focused right now. Also, uh, great insights there. Thank you for that. And this question for both of you, are any resources where listeners can learn more about today's topic? Yeah, so I think the uh, move.mil is our is the uh, DOD's official site for information related to the uh, personal property program. Uh, so if you're looking for you know information on you know the current program, uh, what the rules are, you know resources for your move, uh, that is the place to go. You can also visit U.S. Transcom's website, ustranscom.mil, and follow U.S. Transcom on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media to find out more about our mission, which is broader and diverse, that's focused on bringing logistical support to our warfighters. Well, thank you for both of those um, resources. And uh, last question for both of you, and I'll start off with Mr. Marsh. Any final thoughts today, Mr. Marsh, that you'd like to leave with our listeners, whether something we've discussed or we haven't, maybe we haven't had a chance to discuss? No, I, th- I think it all comes back to the you know, potentially preparing for your next move, right? So if if you have a move coming up, if you're stressed out about it, please know that there are a lot of folks uh, across the enterprise working to improve the program. Please reach out to to our shop, uh, to your local ITO, uh, if you have questions. If you're a DoD member out there who's had a bad experience, please know that we hear you and we agree with you, uh, and we're trying to improve the program uh, for you and your family. And uh, for the JAGs out there who still want to litigate and don't want to necessarily litigate uh, in the military justice uh, realm, government contracts, you know, at first it may sound kind of boring, but it certainly is not. And I hope I uh, encouraged uh, some JAGs out there to go uh, dip their toes into the uh, government procurement waters, if you will, um, and hope that we made uh, moving household goods and government contracting interesting for the last hour. Well, gentlemen, thank you so much for your time today. Uh, great discussion. And I know we, we still just scratched the surface on this topic, but hopefully folks, if they have further interest in this, there's multiple resources you can go to. And, and thank you both for your time today. All right. Thanks for having us. Thank you. That concludes our interview with Mr. Marsh and Mr. Richardson. Here are three of my takeaways from the interview. Number one, organizational reform takes patience and persistence. As discussed through this two-part interview, the DP3 program is undergoing reform efforts. The DoD first acknowledged any past misgivings of the DP3 program, and Congress demanded a get-well plan, which is currently underway. However, as we all know, reform and change is hard. It's hard for individuals, just as it is for organizations. Just think of all those New Year's resolutions and where many of us are at about six weeks into the year. And the bigger the reform or change, typically the more challenging. As discussed, the DP3 program is a massive enterprise at $3 billion per year with thousands of customers, contractors, and stakeholders. It's like a cruise ship fully underway that just can't stop and turn on a dime. Within this context, Mr. Marsh mentioned three enduring challenges to the status quo, including number one, assignment cycles, especially at the height of the summer PCS season, put a tremendous amount of strain on the entire system. 
Two, the transactional nature of relationships with hundreds of contractors can lead to issues. And number three, the fractured nature of the internal management framework can hurt overall performance. So where do you even begin with such a massive program and these challenges? A good place to likely begin is with an approach of patience and persistence and a clear set of priorities to tackle the challenges, which leads me to point number two, the three main priorities of the program. As discussed by Mr. Marsh, the three main priorities include, number one, to improve the quality capacity of the program, two, to increase accountability within the program, and three, to increase responsibility of involved parties. With respect to improving the program's quality capacity, Mr. Marsh mentioned three areas for review and improvement, including first, use the DOD market share to raise the standard of service for customers to include members and families that move each year. The movement of household goods is the biggest element of the DP3 program at about $2 billion per year for packing and transportation services, which accounts for around 15 to 20% of the entire market. This massive market share can be used as leverage to improve standards and accountability for all. Second, there are currently approximately 950 household goods providers, but no enduring contract with any of them, which leads to around 400,000 individual contract tenders or so per year. All of these individual contract tenders can obviously lead to a challenge in upholding standardization. So Mr. Marsh and his team are working to standardize this process across all services and departments in order to improve the overall customer experience. And third, there are 42 regional shipping offices that award business on a shipment-by-shipment basis. As Mr. Marsh mentioned, this additional transactional approach means the DOD struggles at times to provide a meaningful work forecast to industry contractors for when to expect business. And this can stymie business relationships, accountability, and ultimately a better experience for customers. So again, these are three examples in which the DP3 program is working to improve quality capacity. My last point, number three, innovation is a key to success. As we've discussed in previous episodes, innovation is generally not a one-time quote-unquote home run. Rather, innovation is generally the cumulative effect of many iterations or base hits over an extended period of time that often leads to the most meaningful progress. Innovation is also not just about the newest technology. Rather, it also includes effective communication and the strategy or processes to effectuate the organization's vision. In the DP3 program context, Mr. Marsh and his team understand this. For example, in previous years, the DP3 program was so prescriptive on contractual requirements that the complexity became a deterrent of innovation within the industry and at times actually detracted from the customer experience. So Mr. Marsh and his team focused on the outcomes they needed for the program. They then rewrote the rules to simplify the process, foster innovation within the industry, while still balancing the need for accountability. And when it comes to tech, they're in the process of developing a new streamlined and standardized portal for the DP3 program to improve the customer experience. And last, as it pertains to effective communication, they've deliberately changed the communication framework both externally and internally to the organization. Mr. Marsh emphasized on multiple occasions that the program is ultimately about the people and families they serve. In other words, while logistics and moving household goods are critically important, customer service should be at the heart of the program. And they've embraced transparency, accessibility, 
and inclusivity for customers, the industry, and stakeholders across the board. And this is not just rhetoric, as the program has embraced feedback from all. They've created a network of family advocate volunteer spouses who meet regularly to offer feedback in areas for improvement. They review all touch points of the customer experience. They query and read customer satisfaction surveys and look for trends to improve upon. And they review congressional inquiries, IG complaints, GAO decisions and opinions, and other feedback. In fact, this very interview is part of their communicative approach to embrace greater transparency and accessibility. So if you're looking to get involved or have an upcoming PCS, offer your comments and feedback, both the good and any areas that might need improvement, to continue in building the program into a better experience for all. Thank you for listening to another episode. If you like this episode, please let us know by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform, and consider subscribing to the show. We'll see you on the next episode. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Air Force Judge Advocate General's Reporter Podcast. You can find this episode, transcription, and show notes, along with others, at reporter.dodlive.mil. We welcome your feedback. Please subscribe to our show on iTunes or Stitcher and leave a review. This helps us grow, innovate, and develop an even better JAG Corps. Until next time, nothing from this show or any others could be construed as legal advice. Please consult an attorney for any legal issue. Nothing from this show is endorsed by the federal government, Air Force, or any of its components. All content and opinions are those of our guests and hope. Thank you.